This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Casper. Today's show is sponsored by Casper. Save $50. That's $50 off of any mattress purchased by visiting Casper.com forward slash BCPod and use the promo code BCPod at checkout. Today's show is also sponsored by Harry's. Stop overpaying for your razors. Please visit Harry's.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and use the promo code BCPod to save $5 off your first order. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. What's up, ladies and germs? This is Matt. Thank you for tuning in yet again for the Bad Christian Podcast. I'm not even sure why you guys do. I, I do really appreciate it. And it's times like this when I have to, you know, before I go to bed, record an intro for the podcast. I'm just talking in this microphone by myself. That I feel I feel real strange, silly. I realize that I spent the previous 15 years trying to make my hobby of playing the guitar into a career and that I did it and now I've chosen something that just seems even much stupider and that's talking into a microphone by myself largely or to a couple of clown friends of mine uh, for a hobby trying to make that into like a career or profession and so yeah I guess I got to thank you guys for further leading me down a path that will likely end in uh, unemployability and failure and Leaving my family, you know, propping me up until I get my family started real good and then leaving me destitute. So, you know, thank you guys for, you know, contributing to that. Ain't no way I'm going straight now. I mean, essentially, I'm all in. So, we got to do everything possible to make money. Like, guess what? New Emory Acoustic Shows. This is the actual exclusive announcement. California, here we come. We're going to go to Sacramento on March 3rd, San Francisco Bay Area, March 4th. Los Angeles, March 5th, and Orange County, March 6th. These tickets are not on sale yet, but get ready. Think about it. They're going to be on sale on Thursday night. They're going on sale Thursday night. Pay attention. Check back. That'll be at emoryacoustic.com. We got a new video that shows like our last one and some stuff from there. I think you'll think it's really cool. Thank you to everybody who's downloaded the Don't Feed the Trolls podcast. Get that if you haven't yet. It's Matt McDonald and Nate from Sherwood. Episode one is up. You can get it on iTunes right now. No excuses. Free. Awesome stuff. Part of our family. It's the Bad Christian Podcast. It's the Bad, Bad Christian Podcast. Don't you know it's the Bad Christian Podcast? And we back up in this mother. We back up in this mother. What did somebody said that they were real impressed with your Christmas song that you improvised that time? Working on, I mean, even your beatboxes, you come up with a little song every little time. You're working on your Unstoppable Badass Podcast? Unstoppable Badass Podcast is being worked on as we speak. Well, I'm doing this podcast right now, so I guess that's not totally true, but... Um, it seems to be, as long as it's taking you to work on it, so far it's it's the it's very stoppable, I think, is the problem. Well, let me tell y'all something. Uh, Joey went and did his Pastor With No Answers, talks about God and all that stuff. Matt, you do your breaking it down. I just don't have the skills that y'all have with getting stuff done. That's the my weakness. Y'all have ideas and then you move on them. I have ideas and I have to work area. really hard to get them done. So I have to capture them before they leave my brain and hold them in. <laughs> in fact, that's the whole premise of your podcast is 
shit I don't want to finish. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, haven't, and still can't start. <laughs> it's un, It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. So I just got to get it recorded. So actually, uh, now with us being on tour and stuff like that, it's slowed down a little bit. But yes, I got the garage set up. I got everything looking tight. I am recording. I'm coming up with ideas pretty much daily. So yes, this this podcast is going to go live soon. Well, we we got a home for it. We have a home yep. for it. We should by by at this point have a new website going with more podcasts on it. Matt McDonald, Nate Henry's podcast, Don't Feed the Trolls, is is out by now. Oh yeah, and we've got a new website for it to be on. So we've got a nice home for you on our new, uh, re, you know, redesigned site. So just any day now, you get me a yep. approved pilot and get some artwork going. We'll we'll get you going. Oh yeah, well it's going to be probably one of the best podcasts on earth, and it's going to be really I, good. I it's going to be kind of like a, a variety show, but also there's going to be music, Just and keep it's going to be news uh, off of it, and yeah, it'll be I, successful. I've, I, I have wondered that. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm going to add a damn news segment or not, but maybe so. What I'm thinking though is I would love roving reporters to. I said this a while back, but uh, maybe just record themselves, send it in, and then I just get to critique their roving reporter skills. But we'll see. Anyway, what was really interesting though is on this trip, Joey, I was like, huh, if I've been working out super hard and I hadn't seen Matt, I guess I haven't seen you since I've been doing yeah, low carb, of, Matt. Dece- uh, I'm trying December. to think, did I, s- yeah. right at the end of December, you saw me for a second, but, um, you know, I have lost more weight since then. And How'd you do on the road? Really good. Eating. Really good. Like I, I stayed totally low carb. And then when we hung out with the, uh, folks at the, it's, it's a party atmosphere and it just felt so weird not having a beer, like right. just standing there. I just felt weird. And so I would have, I literally had two, three beers and I, or I would uh, maybe sip a little whiskey during the show just for my throat. Cause I kind of am a little sick. So that actually, even if it's just mental, it helps me, but I did really good. Even so, like I actually came back thinner than when I left Matt. Oh, that's great. So uh, I actually, yep. uh, let's do a weight update. I'm at two Oh four and I, if I might be two two Oh three. That's awesome. But Joey, what's yeah, I'm, I'm one ninety. One ninety, And where you think you at, Joey? I, I don't know, but I would say heavier than you. I really don't know. You I think you're more than two oh four? Oh, I guess I would. I, I would guess. That I thought you because I haven't been. Yeah, but I mean, you've been doing the stuff. Daniel fast like crazy for three weeks, right? Yeah, but lots of fruit, lots of nuts. Nuts are very fat. No, no, nuts are not bad at all. Fruit is kills you. Yeah. Well, uh, that, anyway, I would. That's the I thing about you. You've always loved nuts. You. You're just big on nuts. Big on nuts. You just throw them right in your mouth. Hey, you know Brazil nuts? I hate. Really? Yeah. They're one of my favorite. Are you serious? Yeah, I really do love them. Dude, I'm going to save them for now. I just throw them out in the woods and hope squirrels will (laughs) kill them. You really dislike them? Don't eat them. I don't touch them. That's really strange. Cashews, almonds, peanuts. Oh, pistachio. I love that. And you know, I love macadamia. Well, here's what's funny is Mm -hmm. Matt doesn't really notice things. Jesus traveled to macadamia. Yeah. Macadamia. Nut. (laughs) Jesus was a macadamia nut. He was a nut. (laughs) Matt doesn't notice things or pick up on things usually. Like if I got my hair cut, he wouldn't notice it. Mm. Uh, his wife cuts her hair or whatever, you know. If, yeah, Never I mean, notice. Well, anything. New dress. He just doesn't. But I thought, you know what? If I see Matt, when we get to the airport, uh, Matt got in like 20 minutes after Andy and I. I was like, if Matt says, oh, man, you lost some weight, then I'll know that I there's a big difference. Like it would have it been enough to like make him realize. Right. And sure enough, he did. Wow. And, and I was like, oh, so man, I'm, I really hate to bust your bubble on that, but. You know that I don't notice things because I don't. I'm not thinking about them, and I'm you know the way I think. Right. But you also know that I've been right. dieting and losing weight, so it's just on my mind. So I was I was thinking about before I even. I mean, that was just what I was thinking about. But still, you took time to comment on my weight. But yeah, it was, I think it was noticeable. And you, uh, and because it, it might have been on your mind, but you, 
normally you would just move to what you want to talk about, which would be what you're eating and how you're doing. So to right. take time to say, yeah, you look like you've lost some weight, man. We're, we're going to be the same weight here. Yep. But anyway, so yeah, I did really good and that made me feel pretty good. And I'm, am down about 204 and this is the most muscular I've ever been too. So I think my words of affirmation thing is, is going to happen. I'm going to make it good by you. my 40th birthday. If I keep on this track, I will be for sure the best shape of my entire life. And you're assessing that by... Uh, I mean, I guess one of, one of the lowest weights with some muscle. That's pretty objective. Yeah, his best BMI would would prove the point. I, I, yeah, I'm not talking about. I mean, maybe I have uh, you know six weeks to live and a brain tumor. I don't know right. about that, but I would say just with intentionally uh, the way I eat and the way I work out and the, yeah, general, yeah, fitness, general general mass fitness, body I, bass, mass body, yeah, ba- best shape of my life index. and actual shape. Yeah. It might be in the actual best shape now. I mean, when I was younger, I wasn't maybe intentionally trying to be healthy or whatever and still was. <laughs> literally best shape. But this, like, this might be literally the actual best well, shape. A, now you're actually, you're actually going to be shaped like a man instead of a flabby barrel. Right. So you're, <laughs> you're, your first year in your 40s, your goal should be this for sure is the best use of time that I have ever that would made be, out of that this That would be good. Year. Write that down. Like, no, I, I don't like that one. I, 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 think, this I, year I think win the lotto. <laughs> when the lot you know what's really funny is we got to you know how mad he can't stay away from talking about the lotto which is really funny it's kind of like an atheist like i think atheists love talking about god because they kind of be- actually do believe or something but i mean why would you spend your entire life believing in not god you know what i mean like that just seems like a waste of time right matt seriously would love to spend his life on talking about not lotto yeah. and so i think yeah. he actually does love it but a guy came up and gave him a lottery ticket a lottery and we were talking ticket, about it yeah. and matt Matt says, no matter what, if you win the lottery, you shouldn't give it to anybody because it'll only hurt them. Like if you, if you, no, you if you, Joey, if you won five hundred million dollars, Matt swears he doesn't want you to give him any money, and he thinks you shouldn't give me any either. Don't start this. I don't even want to do Matt, it. Matt, you turn it down, my that, friend. That, but so I'll, I'll make. I don't want to. I don't want to go into this. But anyway, a uh, uh, guy gave Matt. Uh, we mentioned his name on the last podcast. The guy gave Matt a uh, lottery ticket and said, "Hey, just so you know, here's the lottery. I know you were talking about the lottery, but if you, uh, if if you win, look, we're going to split it." And Matt, uh, he's like, I don't believe in this, blah, 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 whatever. So we get to, we go to eat lunch the next day, and he, he opens up his wallet, and he sees it, and he just tosses it and throws it t- towards the trash can. And I grab it, and I check the numbers, and of course, we didn't win. But Matt said he swore he would never give me one dime of that money if he won. <laughs> he says, I will not give anybody any money because he thinks it would be detrimental. There's no good outcome. I, that's why I threw it in the trash can. There is a good outcome. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I'm totally with Toby. There's no way that you getting a lot of money is just 100%. You're stupid. Not 100%, but it's likely to be bad. I'll put it that way. It's likely to be worse than it is good, and that's all I want to say about that now. Otherwise, we can talk about for an hour or two that'll take me to convince you of why. And you don't want that either. Anyway, all I want to say is, all I want to say is, Joey, if I win uh, a certain amount of millions, I will give you some money. Yeah. I mean, I will. I don't know. It depends on okay. the amount or whatever, but like... Maybe I would pay off your house, or maybe I would, if, if if I won five hundred million dollars, I would give you a million. Oh, for sure. If and, if I won five hundred million, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, Toby's one of my best friends. I'm gonna give him at least ten. I mean, I don't know why you would need ten million dollars, but I'd give it to. Well, you what I was thinking it. is, what about like this? If I said, hey, I won five hundred. What are we doing right now? I thought you said you don't want to talk about this. No, you said that. I love it. Call yeah. me when you're so, done. So, if Toby said, if Toby said, hey, I, I have, I. 
No, if I told Toby, this is the most useless fantasy waste. It's just like nothing. Like it's just like pornography. You're just fantasizing about bullshit that you have nothing to. Joey, do. I'm hanging on every word of yours. If I told Toby that I want five hundred million dollars, and Toby and I said, "Hey, here's five, and Toby was like, "Hey, can can you just give me fifteen? I'd be like, "Yeah, okay." I mean, why wouldn't I? Which proves that you have no business having any money. Why? $15 million out of 500? Stop it. I'm turning down, I'm turning down Matt, Joey, so we Whoa, can have a real... first. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you better, watch your mouth or I'm turning your ass down. Matt lost his turn down if, virginity. I told, I told, uh, I told uh, uh, Matt and Andy... You said you didn't want to talk about this. And Devin, I said, if I won $500 million, I would give $1 million to my top 100 friends you don't have 100 friends and then i wouldn't i know so i wouldn't have to even hit the 100 but i would just go down the line i go okay of course i give some money to my family and all this and and here's the deal since i just won it and i don't have any way and i'm i feel like i'm not that controlled by money okay i'll just give it to you no no strings attached like if you blow it if you went if you go bet on black in vegas and lose it that's it not controlled by money if you spend 750 at chick-fil-a you lose your mind it's not true that is true. What Matt Jet, just said is true. What? If you spend seven dollars, I'm not going to worry about a million dollars. No, yeah, I lose in my mind for myself. But Jess and I, you have tens Jess of thousands of dollars money right now, and you can't spend seven dollars on a meal several different times to people it. who have not used it wisely, and we're okay with it. Totally. So there you go. You are stupid, Matt. You are you are selfish. <laughs> no, you don't care about no, other people, and you are rude. As far as giving money away, though, do you think it would be okay to give? that person money that you know misspent it to give to keep at some point don't you think that's on you there are people that i know of and course maybe uh, that for sure that are close to me that i think might not do good with the money but i would still feel like yeah i don't care i just want to give it to them and i, I would feel dumb not because they're so close to me not giving every it potential lotto winner is a self-identified hero and every actual lotto winner is a miserable person Matt, we can't hear you. We turned you down a long time ago. Are you talking? <laughs> well, the lotto is one of those things for sure that I'm on the list of way, 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 way on the outs of what normal people typically. Well, think. you should sure talk okay about with it that. a lot, like Toby it, said. It becomes you love talking about it. It's me, your favorite thing. That's one of those things that uh, that just I'm way on the outs of. There's a lot of those things I was thinking about the other day. I wrote down some of the things that people always just can't believe that I'm not into. Here's things that I don't that, that I don't do. Stuff that I don't do is obviously lotto um, and uh, chapstick. Nope. Shampoo. Nope. Umbrellas. Hate them. Sunglasses. Never wear them. Lotion. Wouldn't touch it. Deodorant. Never. We know that one. Beanie hats. No beanie hats for me unless it's way, way, way cold. Flip flops. Hate them. Spoons. Gross. Spoons. That's for babies and girls to use spoons. Same thing oh, with bowls. So you don't eat soup. I don't use I, or or cereal. Uh, naps. I don't. I don't take naps. Oh, see, Matt Nap- just got busted and he moved on. Yeah. Na- I'll get back to those. I'm gonna finish my list here. Napkins. I don't. I try not <laughs> use to use them. Arm. I don't like using them. Uh, umbrellas. Already said I said umbrellas already. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Love that's getting, it. So naps and napkins. Um, now, now I will concede that some of these things, in extreme circumstances, I would use. Soup so, is extreme. For instance, I might <laughs> wear sunglasses if I was on a, a star. skiing or doing a mountain <laughs> summit, or possibly one day a year at the beach. I might wear sunglasses. I might even wear flip flops that same day. Or if for some reason I had to shower somewhere weird, I might find the utility of flip flops. But I don't like. Would them. you wear flip flops for your wife's poutine? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. 
What are you trying to oh, say, so Joey? You ask, I'm just saying if his wife said, Asked him to? No, I'm saying, hey, we'll have sex right if now. If her fantasy, <laughs> yeah, if her fetish was me wearing flip-flops, I would make that happen. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, but again, that would be one of those extremely rare things, like once a year, like going to the beach. So, yeah, it would still classify. Um, you get that joke. And so, obviously, <laughs> obviously, bowls and spoons are necessary, but only in extreme cases. Like, if I have to eat soup, I will use a uh, spoon but i would rather use a fork for everything to simmer. what about a spork? You anything like spork? that i could possibly get away you think with a spork is i would fine. not use a spoon or a bowl you're you're okay with a spork you think that's a good invention that's a pretty good invention i'm just saying i avoid spoons and bowls as much as humanly possible same with all those things on that list so basically what matt's saying is he's a bitch is what he, that's just what i heard so i know people don't like those those are all things that i think other people really dig and like but i, I don't you know, napkins i just I, I really don't use them i never get them and then I wipe my hands off my pants. I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but it's what I do. I go the opposite. I get as many napkins as possible. <laughs> I get as many, they're making fun of me on the road because I get, like, if there's a sauce bar, oh, my God, I'm going to show out at a sauce bar. <laughs> Toby gets I, 10 it, times it, the amount of sauce. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm going to get a giant amount of napkins and a giant amount of sauces. Uh, honestly, Tons of straws. <laughs> like I got two drinks. And I'm gonna get four or five straws. I got to. with you until the straws. <laughs> His pockets are full of ketchup packets and sweet and low. I too. always get egg. Oh, sweet and low. Uh, Splenda. Shoot, Please I'll have a. Explain ju- to me straws, because listen, you get one straw. It's for that hard drink. to grab Next one. Next it's hard to use- grab one, and when they're all just sitting there, just grab a bunch because it's easy. <laughs> that way, I have to decide. And I can look through them when I get to my seat, sitting down, relaxing. That's just wasteful. No, it's, I get tons of that. So I mean, I got a pile of booty <laughs> on my on my table because I get everything you can. I promise. When I get sauces, I get every sauce because just in case I need it. And then a lot of times I don't even try one. Do you throw it away <laughs> or put it back? It's me. It is thrown away for sure. Yeah, <laughs> just just yeah. I, right I take sometimes at yeah. Splenda. I might take it some home, but yeah. that's about it because it's you know, Matt. Just like how your love infatuation and lust for the lotto that, uh, you know, you try mm-hmm. to hide and try to work with. I have the same thing with like TBN. And I've told you all this before. Yeah. I love watching that channel. Masochistic. Cha- yeah. It, I guess you're right. Like it, there's something about the pain of it that like it, it involves my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And also I hate it at the exact same time. Like <laughs> uh, that dichotomy is just really crazy for me. Like living through that, like. I can't believe that these people are talking about Jesus, and at the same time, it's just so bizarre. Like it's just a bizarre uh, carnival. They're carnies or something like that. But anyway, so I was kind of been watching a few different things and like YouTube's of just different, you know, the, these televangelist folks, and I just watch it painfully. So when I do this, y'all know me. I kind of have to level myself out. Just like if I do good, then I feel like I need to say dirty bad words to to, to, to like level myself if i if i get too good i gotta be bad and if i get too bad i gotta get good so with the tbn stuff i kind of have to do the same thing and i I found myself i don't know it's just weird i'm drawn to it i'd been watching some of these you know christian videos and stuff like that for a while so i ended up somehow searching for atheist points of view and i ended up on some atheist debates and stuff and so i did that for you know two or three days but one of them i came across was pretty interesting it was Christopher Hitchens who passed away. I think like two. Well, this might have been longer than that now, years ago. But you know, very uh, funny, engaging voice in the atheist uh, culture, and um, you know, really smart, intelligent guy. But he talked about this book. It was like one of his opening things, and I thought it was really interesting. And I was going to see what y'all thought about this. Just this one comment that he made. Uh, I forget the YouTube, but if you look at it, it was Christopher Hitchens versus somebody. It's this. It's an Indian guy um, that he is up against i cannot remember that guy's name anyway so he talks about it and he says there's a book called uh when it was dark 
And in this book, it says that they find this tomb, they roll the stone away, and there are bones, and they're able to prove that it's Jesus, right? So basically, the whole yeah, Jesus was just a myth. Right. He, he, they did find his body. He wasn't resurrected. He was a right. man, just, but just his, like everybody else. Oh, so the, I believe that. So the whole, so, so the whole thing's fake. This is just a novel, Joey. <laughs> We don't panic yet. So yeah, I think yeah, it may be based on Tuesday. No, calm down. Hold on. Chill out for a second. <laughs> Joey, as soon as you say something, he goes, oh, hey, okay then. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. There was no Jesus. No, you can convince Joey. We already got him. That's, That's the most hey, that classic code, man. It took a lot uh, of convincing otherwise, man. I, I do have something I want to bring up to y'all after this. Okay, you need to after the shut podcast, your damn like, mouth and let me, <laughs> let me get to it. I haven't even got to it yet. So basically, the whole world is in disarray. All religion is over, and everybody. It's, the The storyline is everybody just loses it, yeah. and everybody's bad, and there's killings and rapings and all this crazy stuff, and everybody's like freaking out, and they don't know what to do. So they these, I guess, the heroes of the book, or whatever, figure out that basically. And if you're going to read this book, sorry, this is a spoiler, but um, basically, it was just a hoax, and it wasn't true, and the bones aren't real, and everything goes back to normal. And Christopher Hitchens says that mm. just is so. Uh, not true that no matter what he said, all the people in the room right then, but even, you know, talking to you and uh, us three or whatever, that we wouldn't go off the deep end and we wouldn't be bad and we wouldn't start killing or raping or hurting or whatever it might be that in general society would stay the same and you, we'd be better off because we wouldn't have this false thing mm-hmm. that we believe in that tells us not right. to have sex before marriage or, you know, give money to this group or whatever. And he said, this stuff. And, and so he kind of had me. And then when he said that, I thought, no, nah, he's wrong. He's just, I really 100% believe he's wrong. And I think that regardless of whether, whether you even believe in God or not, just the foundation of that, that there is something after this life that you might be held accountable for, or that this life you need to be held accountable because there is a future or whatever, uh, means something. And I believe in my innermost deep thoughts and and maybe most people are pretty selfish and they that will get worse now he might be right if they proved right now jesus was a hoax and it wasn't real and there is no god or whatever mm-hmm. it might be okay for a little bit but i guarantee you 10 years from now people are going what so i got 80 years i'm going to come here and work at mcdonald's no i'm, I'm going to steal from mcdonald's uh, uh i'm going to you know uh, uh, you tell me i'm oh why would i only be with one person i'm going to be with a million people it doesn't matter my sex is my choice uh everything is my choice and if i choose to hurt then i hurt and if i choose to do what if maybe i want to be in philanthropy or maybe i want to do good and help orphans then i'll do that but whatever it will all be selfish and only self-motivated to which i would say would eventually lead to a majority of people hell yeah being really bad and and being hmm. uh, in control of whatever they can control, and that, using that, that power and manipulation happened. to do bad. And that already happens. It happens now. It happens now with in the context of that there is 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 a God. So I'm just saying, I think it would only get worse if you just said, yeah, I, I think he's wrong about that. Well, is, am I making sense here? Yeah, no, you're making sense, but I think it's a bit. Joe, wait, Joey, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. I think it's a bit different than maybe either he or you were saying. I think there's maybe a little bit more nuanced point of view. I. I think that he has a good point in the fact that if you, for sure, he's right that it wouldn't be black and white like you. If we had incontrovertible proof that this whole God and right. Jesus and everything was just made up, or that all, even if all religion was, that most people wouldn't turn on a dime and start doing crazy stuff. That's probably he's probably right about that. That's a great point. Except for one thing, regardless, right now, if they prove that there was no God, 
you can't erase your foundation and what your parents told you and everything right. away. So what I'm saying is right. You, you're right about the immediacy of it, but like our kids and then their kids for sure, if there's no God and they don't hear about it and all that stuff, then what, w- what will they do? Now, maybe somebody would come along and put another idea in their head that we need to care about culture and all this stuff. But I'm just saying, well, on a certain level, I think everybody would go selfish. I want to be very bizarre practical here. You don't think that if, if the three of us realize right away, even with our upbringing, but we found out God, don't you think just almost for the hell of it, we'd be like, hmm, this is weird. I'm going to look at porn just because... Right. There's nothing wrong with it, and right. maybe it'll eventually be bad for me. But why not? Right. It exactly. doesn't matter. No, you. Yeah, you would. But that's a far cry from like you would just. And you would lie. Experiment. With you would lie when you needed to. Right. Yeah, you're right. There isn't anything to hold right. me accountable, and it will be bring me pleasure, and that's what everybody will do. I want pleasure. Right. Right. But look, what I'm saying is these people have reasonable arguments in that. Uh, first of all. Many would argue that looking at porn wouldn't actually have negative right. effects. Right. Is the way that we treated it would. So there's a an idea definitely there. affect my and marriage. would you do things like but you wouldn't be able to necessarily go like beat up somebody who had a, nicer things than you and take them also we would still have laws and you would be publicly shamed if you did such a thing but see that's not true because who's enforcing the laws you, you also you also wouldn't benefit by holding down another who's enforcing the laws the the crooked people that we put in law enforcement. I mean, what would, they're going to be in it for themselves as well. I mean, it it, it goes well, into everything. No, no. Why would you Why no, would you care about following the law from some guy who's crooked? Yeah, and he's going to pull you over and yeah, he's going to pull you over and and you're going to go pay a ticket or are you going to give him a hundred dollars to get out of it? What I'm saying is, I intend to take a, a a middle position here, which says that society has. You're a pussy. See, <laughs> see, uh, but see, society has a bunch of stuff working for it, including Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism, Christianity, law enforcement, uh, collective empathy, uh, the betterment of, of all people. You know, there's a bunch of things. It's a really delicate balance that makes a society. And when you see, for instance, in The Walking Dead, as soon as the society collapses, it's not about religion collapsing. It's about the the constructs that make people accountable to each other for whatever reason and stuff like that. There's a lot of things that if they collapsed or reverted, the world would be less moral. Yeah. And so there is a benefit to the whole world for the morality of the world to increase regardless of religion. And that's what they're saying. For instance, Godless or Christopher Hitchens, um, they probably do some things that you may find like technically immoral to what your code is. However, they're not harmful or or rapists or, or thieves or anything like that. And there's a great amount of that. And it seems to be that the most uh, the you know a lot of people that are philanthropic and well educated seem to and and positive people in society tend to be you know less religious. So there's is some support for that thing. But I'm only suggesting that if you took any major belief. Okay, and eradicated it. it. The balance, the delicate balance of society's constructs, would be thrown off in a way that would have a lot of devastating things. But I don't think it's as simple. I mean, this sounds crazy, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it for sure. The only reason that people and atheists get to say what they want to say is because of religion, in my my point of view. Okay, because without that. People go well. We should listen to people because our God says let's love people, and our God says let's do stuff. And then they they'll they'll throw okay. up, uh, you know, terrorists in the name of religion would, uh, you know, kill you or whatever, and do all this stuff. But I'm just telling you, no matter what, for sure, 
all that we would come down to is power and pleasure, and whoever has the most of it, that's who you serve, and you would go from there. And then they're not, they're not going to want the, an, a free thinking guy that says, "Hey, we need to uh, care about people in third world countries." An atheist that says, "Yeah, I don't believe in anything, but I want to help people." Who cares? That th- those people right. will be dominated and uh, you know gotten rid of because all that's going to happen is power. And you and you've seen that in the history of the world. The, what I'm saying is what you're saying though is maybe still an atheist point of view, but it's one from what you would call probably, I think I'm right about this, I'm, I'm just off the cuff here, but I think they would say the new atheists are the Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris people, and these are people who think that religion is a destructive force on society, who you disagree with, both in right. the fact that you believe totally. that religion is maybe not destructive and that your religion is actually, a, is actually real and true yeah. and supernatural and ultimate. But there have been atheists, and the, the old atheists or atheists, Atheism in general, uh, including I would think I'm think maybe Karl Marx or some communist or Nietzsche, perhaps one of those some one of those two said that religion is opiate for the masses and right. is uh, good for everybody because it keeps people in line and moral. Now that doesn't mean anything about whether or not it's true. Yeah. So by your claim, Toby, you would also say that right. in general, peaceable Islam, Hindu, and Buddhism also serve the same function, luckily, to keep people from doing bad stuff to each other. Regardless of whether it's true, however, just the fact that we need to believe that it's true and that we need to believe that it matters, even though there may or may not be eternity, would be uh, irrelevant from the point of view you seem to be holding. So also, we need Islam and uh, Hinduism and all these others to be upheld to keep society in bounds. Yes. Or do you think it's literally only the God of the Bible that, that... is is effect, you know has any effect on um well i mean i have to say that i have to say b because that's what i believe <laughs> i mean that's what that. i believe yeah, right. i mean i i believe it the, the the religion that i'm a part of is the one i believe so that's what i believe i'm not i'm not another religion well, i no, am I, this religion but so that's where i'm matt, at it seems like what matt's trying to say though is that other religions still have an effect on people's behavior no i agree yes and that and that's why I agreed. I, right. I said, if we proved if we proved Hinduism as not true, would all the people in India go crazy and start murdering and raping? No. If so, it has nothing to do with spirituality. Right. No, you're not hearing me. And and what I'm saying is, I think for sure they wouldn't immediately. Like for example, if I found out there was no God, I'm not going to start raping people. I I just just not in me. But what I'm saying, there are things that I would do. Right. For sure. Right. There's things I do right now that I uh, sure. that get me, and I go, man, I wish I didn't do that or whatever. But if you're telling me. There is no consequence, and I got at best forty more years here on Earth. Hell yeah, I might as well yeah, live it up. I, I mean, that's what, a reasonable what, point I mean, of view. At, at some level, I'm not saying that I would, but I'm saying what 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 would you say no to? Joey, Joey made a it point. It may be ill advised or wrong, and you know, right now, right now, all three of us are under the idea that porn is bad and bad and, for and, our marriage, and, and bad for and our, our marriage, marriage is right. worth something. Right, right, and our and serving <laughs> our God is worth sure. something. It is worth something, and it is good, and we get a lot mm-hmm. of stuff out of it. And all I'm saying is. For sure. I'm not saying I agree with him. I don't think everybody would start killing and taking TVs and doing whatever they wanted and stealing your I don't I don't think that would happen. What I do believe is it would become a susceptible society that would be dominated by somebody that goes, I don't give a shit. I will kill you. I will take I will rape you. I think there'll be a lot of collapse. You know, I don't necessarily think it's that simple. I mean, some people would and some people wouldn't. Go into a third world prison and start telling them ideas about how culture, if we all band together, we're gonna do better. Or, or see if everybody follows the guy that killed the most people and will kill you and rape right. you. But, I mean, would who you, you also follow? advocate that who, who, hopefully... Who's that the leader of that situation? That's it. Yeah, so they don't need religion. But Look uh, at what happened when Dan Mufasa died. Y'all see that shit? What happened with Scar? 
and all the hyenas yeah, and then everybody started following. Human, right human nature, human <laughs> nature's default would always be to go to a really, really bad place. That's the way it goes. Except for we are lucky enough to have the scaffolding of society built up, right. and there's uh, thousands of forces. Christianity being simply one of them, and also I happen to believe that it happens to have spiritual and ultimate oh. consequence, but it is but one of the many tiny, tiny factors that do contribute to the scaffolding and stability of society. Oh, uh, totally. I, like, well, like we've talked before in the past, that if the grid goes down, it doesn't matter about religion or right. not. You better maybe have, have some guns and stuff because people are going to lose it. So all I'm saying is I, my natural inclination that probably is based on theology would be that people innately are selfish and want pleasure and power and will do whatever they can get to. Right. So your point of view is closest to atheism 1.0, opiate for the masses point of view. Well, here, here's no, no, no. I think my is closest to Christianity. You do sure. have to say it. You, you do have. Uh, it, <laughs> well, maybe technically. You yeah, do have sure. to admit the irony, but we would see this with more meaning than just uh, sheer irony that when you throw it, when Christians think of God throwing out the window, we're the first ones to admit, yeah, I'd probably do some whacked out shit where the atheists would say, I don't need a God to help with my morals. For, for mean, example, yeah, well, that's their point. That's why they think you're really hip, hypocritical because it's just because of the repression of all the stuff that you haven't worked out whether or not you should kill people. You're just blindly right. saying you shouldn't. Right. Think about the things that you think are good right now and that you would honor God with. For example, uh, helping the poor or what about this? Uh, uh, allowing... Uh, people with disabilities to live. They deserve to live. They have rights to live and all this stuff, right? I watched this show. It's called Helix. It's pretty interesting, but one of the ideas in this, it's a kind of sci-fi thing, is that they're immortals. They like they basically, as long as you don't, I don't know, chop their head off or something, some severe thing, they live forever. And uh, one of the plots is that they are going to kill humans now, people that are mortal, because they're using the resources. And they're hurting the earth. So right now, I mean, so the idea of if you didn't have a God and there isn't anything, maybe you decide to annihilate a certain group of people based on whatever gender or race or mental capabilities or whatever, because you know what? Hey, maybe they're obese. Hey, they, I mean, I'm not spending my money for that on taxes. That screw you. Let's kill them. Let's just get rid. Of, oh, you know, somebody's over 80 years old. See ya. Well, we've had Christian and religious groups do the same thing. All I'm saying is there are other ideas and constructs in that as well that make you go, wait a minute. I need to do this because it's the right thing, regardless of if I'm in pain or not. But if you go, there is no consequence. I am going to die and take a dirt nap, and that's it. You might see things way differently and do things right now that we that. And then, so my question is. If that's the case, then why would somebody be like an atheist yep. be so sure of right and wrong? For sure. Because that would mean there isn't one. It's only temporary temporary or temporal in the moment because right now it's it's good to not kill old people and, and let them be in homes and help them. But if everybody said, oh, no, you know what? Our resources, bye. Or this country, nah, they're just not worth keeping around. Annihilated. I mean, you. a lot of people would really agree with those things in another context. And so yeah. I'm just saying it would get bad. The things that you think right now are good, and those atheists think the same things are good. It's really funny how everybody thinks the same things are good and bad. Here's how they would say that, Toby. They'd say, well, by your own admission, the uh, third world prison, right. uh, you could improve it by spreading uh, Hinduism uh, as a culture and its virtues through that prison. So you would say that would be improvement, correct? Yes, I do believe that. All right. And then benevolent, well-thought-out uh, Christ-following, e- even better, sure. kind of like they do in, in the West. And they've got a lot of—that's an even better society. Right. And then the, the new atheists, what they're saying, and I'm not agreeing with, is that but even better than that, 
would be supplanted by actual empathetic interaction and understanding of ourselves and looking at our society as a whole would even be an even better set of morals and values than the blind, uh, you know, ultimate consequence, heaven and hell, vengeful God thing. Now, that might maybe work and it may have served a purpose, but we beyond that, we'll even move to a better one. Yeah, I just disagree. That makes no sense. If you tell me right now, there is no consequences for my actions. Like, really, there shouldn't be. And that's what I think people would get to in a certain, a certain amount of years. Then I would say, yeah, then what I want is pleasure and power. Mm-hmm. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Maybe, let me clarify that. That's not, that, that's not right. I, I don't totally believe that because... Right. If you go out and steal something, you go to jail. That doesn't have anything to do with religion, and that's bad for you. Some people would be into helping other people or making, you know, staying with one uh, spouse for your entire life. You're just saying that you personally are barely hanging in there because of Jesus. Right. And I'm just saying, in general, I think if there is no God, then ultimately there will be things that you do that are just about you and selfish, and that's what you would li- And we already do that right now. It's, I mean, that's what we already do with religion. I can't imagine without a belief in God what you would do. It also sounds counter to your point of view that Christians, and once they get saved, they ain't no better than they were in the first place. No, uh, that's what I'm saying. We, we aren't any better. So the only hope we have is in Jesus. That's what I believe. I don't think we get any better no matter what. What's your retort to the atheists who live a, a more moral life than most of the people that you know, for instance, of the Christopher Hitchens and Bill Gates and other these other oh, people? Oh, I don't think they do. I don't think they live a more moral life at all. But they don't do anything that's horrible. I'm saying what, what sure about the thousands and then the hundreds of thousands? It's nothing. We don't have a problem with it. They're not incarcerated at a higher rate. They're not dominating right. and hurting you any more than you are anybody else. That's what I'm else. saying, because we're all equal, and I believe that. That's, I mean, I don't care what they say. That, I mean, so you're saying our morality is keeping them in check? Yeah, I do. Okay. Because I, I don't know right. if they would exist without it. Like, I believe, like, <laughs> what, what, what's so funny in it, it, to I mean, me. They don't believe Jesus is real, yet they're behaving morally in general. Yeah, but that God is has given them a conscience. Okay, Matt. Well, then, still okay. And, no, well, how okay. about this? They're still following some belief construct that makes them see the world in a certain way that they seem moral. But what is morals without God? What is morals without God? I mean, I know that sounds crazy, and, and I'm sure they have great answers. And here's the thing, for sure, like Sam Harris, I listen to his podcast. I think he's like the smartest guy. I love it. Joey's arguing God has actually given them a conscience. But in the, in the theoretical scenario you're suggesting, that wouldn't exist because there is none in the, in the hypothetical. Obviously, we all think the same things are good, and we want them, like pleasure right. and power even. We want those as well. I agree. That's because of God and the conscience and the way he's created us. Yes. But in the scenario you're suggesting, that doesn't exist, you see. What do you mean, if there was no God? You're right. saying in this fictional hypothetical, you would also contain a conscience. But what I'm saying is, in this instance... And you never would have. I'm just saying, in this, right now, if they said there is no God, we proved it, aliens came, and a nice alien landed on the planet tomorrow and said, hey, we planted y'all here a while back. Uh-huh. I, I mean, maybe we would buy into this other idea of... Uh, another religion, which is education or knowledge or power sure. or whatever that is. But I'm just saying, you got to believe in that simply, no matter what, well, like Loki said, you are meant to serve and you have to do something. There's right. some kind of master that you're going to serve and follow. And, what, and my point would be, that's strange that that's innate and you're going to follow something and it might be your own pleasure or whatever that might be, but you put something and then you follow it. Like right now, I think a lot of the atheists are thinking knowledge is power and that is what I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve more knowledge and get more knowledge because that's my interest and that's what I care about. And so that's what their whole goal is, is to only have as much knowledge as they can, which is still a God. It's still a God. Oh, if I know enough, that means something. Right, but in the hypothetical, there is no God and or anything like that. So that kind of changes if you're suggesting that there really isn't. 
one. one. You'll see one of two things. You'll see a dominated people that are in servitude or slaves. Without which religion? Just Christianity? The other ones could stay? In that instance, maybe people would turn to other religions. You're right. Like if it was just the, you know what just, I'm if it was just I, it, Christianity know. gone, people would just turn to another religion. Sure. That's what they would do. And right now it's so ingrained in us, in, in us three alone, that if they said, yeah, we proved it and an alien came down, we still wouldn't believe it. You would still believe that it's just a live Satan. I really believe that. I, I believe right now, if we saw an alien land, we're probably so ingrained that it's just so much in, a part of you and your history of your life that you probably, it would take a lot of well, convincing you know, to not to believe God's not real. You know, I would just be like, that's a demon right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no possibility you could convince Joey. Yeah. Like, there's not a such thing as incontrovertible evidence, for instance, right. for Joey. And that's probably a good thing, but I think that is yeah. true. Like, there is not amount of video footage, <laughs> recovered stuff. There's nothing in the world that would make, you know what I mean? It just doesn't. That's not the way uh, And the alien cannot show you that he made you. <laughs> and you'd be like, uh-uh. Get out of here, Beelzebub. <laughs> right, he would doubt the footage or the experience. If he could time travel itself, if he could go see himself being formed in a lab by an alien, he would, would not buy it. Oh, this is interesting, interesting, interesting. But uh, we need to take a break. We're going to bring on our new friend, Dave Runyon. Yeah, he, and, he actually yeah. came to Seacoast to talk. He's He's got a uh, major passion, I yeah. guess you could say, on being good neighbors. I mean, how practical is that? But he's got some good thoughts on it. But we actually talk about a lot of uh, crazy stuff. Cool. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Guys, I'm still sleeping like a dream come true on my Casper mattress. I'm I'm jealous, and I think I'm getting a Casper mask. Yeah, you, I mean, well. you really should get. It. I mean, it's it's awesome because here's the thing about it: like they combine the latex foam with memory foam, so it's a hybrid, is what it is. And it, everything about it's good. I have a I've really, really, truly had less back pain and better sleep the whole time I've been sleeping on this thing for over a year. Uh, my wife loves it. Everything. I, we I went and laid down with Georgia the other night. She had a bad dream, and boy, was I irritated at her, her non Casper mattress. And then you Bridget, won't even get your daughter a Casper. No, well, I need jerk. to. I'm, I'm going to. I definitely am going to. And then Bridget laid down with her and said how bad it is. She's like, "Well, we got to get a topper for her bed." I was like, "Well, let's get her a new Casper for sure." It was totally, totally yeah. worth it. The, the, they cost between five hundred for a twin size. Um, seven fifty for a full size, eight fifty for a queen, nine fifty for a king size. That's bed. nothing. So that's I mean, for crazy. a king size mattress, that's insane. That yeah. is, that it's is amazing. Sure. It comes straight to your house. It's easy to move. You can move it right to your bedroom. You unbox this thing, and it pops out, poofs up, and turns into a full size mattress. It's obsessively engineered, and I love engineering. Um, it's it's also risk free. The trial and return policy, so you can sleep on it for a hundred days, and they will pay for the delivery back if you don't like that it. So if cool. you don't agree with me, do it. But at least at least try get get one to your house do it today y'all tell them what the the details here okay this is a special offer to our listeners so you guys listen up get fifty dollars towards any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com forward slash bc pod and using our promo code bc pod terms and conditions may apply like everywhere but go do it right now this is the best mattress you can get all right guys i am feeling uh a little guilty. Uh, for a while, a lot of times I would just use my wife's razor. She leaves her razor out in the shower yeah. or whatever, and I'll just use it. You know, she gets super mad about that. And then, and one of the reasons why is because razors are so expensive. And now I feel guilty because I have 
literally the best razor I've ever had in my life, and I know that I have it, but I don't know if some people <laughs> listening right now have it or who doesn't have it. And I'm talking about Harry's razors, and this is awesome. I have this. I was just looking. At, <laughs> I was literally shaving this morning, looking at myself in the mirror, and I and the uh, razor actually just looks cool. The yeah. handle they sent me is like Clemson orange, yeah. which is just so awesome, and the blade is just so nice, and it just is so easy, and. It's so easy that it just comes straight to my door. Yeah. I don't have to go and walk down the aisles and then just honestly feel like I'm just being price gouged by these ridiculously expensive razors that are not as good as Harry's. Yeah. I literally love this razor. It is amazing. When it comes in the mail, I get giddy. I get yeah. so happy because for the first time, I'm going to have a great shave. I can relate, man. Did you know that what you had been doing to Jessica... When I got a Harry's razor, Priscilla did that with mine. I had, I had, <laughs> no, to, get it, I had to get her a Harry's razor. <laughs> so now my wife and I both have Harry's razors. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why is because they're, uh, they're German engineered. And you know how smart I and love good the Germans. those Germans are. <laughs> Five blade cartridges. Uh, basically, I will walk down the drugstore aisle now and I'll, the, the, Razor section will catch my eye, and I will stand there and smile. I laugh at those fools. Yeah, I stop. I stop and start pointing and laughing. Yeah, yeah sometimes it'll turn into tears of joy because of all the money that hey, I'm saving. I know because they seriously Harry sells their blades at about half the price of the leading brands. Yeah, listen to this: mm. one million guys have come to their senses and have That's started cool. buying from Harry's. That is really, really, really awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, Harry's will give you five dollars off your first order with promo code BCPod. So stop overpaying for a great shave and start the new year off right. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter the code BCPOD at checkout. My first question is, what is it like, because you're, you're, you live in Colorado, right? Yep. So what is it like to fly with marijuana to a state that doesn't have it? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. All these dogs like chase me through the airport. Me, me and Toby's uh, goal right now is to bring Dave Runyon down <laughs> to make him careerless. Now, that is, I do that's a hard that thing question. to do. Like, I mean, marijuana is legal in your state now. Have you like noticed a huge difference? Like, I mean, it, Christian-wise or city-wise or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, all the people from South Carolina now fly into our state <laughs> just to smoke weed. So that's one difference. Uh, no, the tourism around pot has been incredible. Really? It's, oh, yeah. And it's made a big difference. So, you know, I think people's visual is like everywhere you go, people are just going to be smoking weed like they're smoking cigarettes. That's not the case. Yeah. I will say this, uh, you know, in the past, like five years ago, the only place that I really would smell weed is in a concert. Yeah. And now there's numerous times you're just kind of walking through the city, through the through Denver proper, and you can just smell it. And it's just not a big deal. So and once they once they pass medical, uh, every the enforcement all started to go down. You started to see it more. People weren't freaking out about it more. So it's been kind of a gradual thing that's happened. Yeah. Over the last 10 well, years. It used to be the Cypress Hill concerts. Now it's Jeremy Camp. You know I mean? It's like <laughs> everywhere exactly, you go, there's pots. That's exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right. So um, Dave is here from out of town. He actually spoke at our church yesterday. And uh, most of you know this, but we, Toby and I work at a very large mega church. And it is a multi-site sort of thing. So that means there's different campuses. We pastor a uh, church of of around 350 people or so, but our church is like 12,000 people. So you, you talked to basically 10 to 12,000 people yesterday. Uh, just, I guess, why did, why did Seacoast bring you this way? Tell people the book you wrote about the organization you run, that sort of thing. Sure. 
So I served as a pastor in Denver for 10 years. Yeah. Worked at two great churches, but I just got obsessed with this idea of churches working together. Yeah. And some of my friends and I, who are also pastors in the city, um, started to meet together and to just kind of dream about, you know, if we were going to kind of leverage all the resources, volunteers, the, the things that we had um, in the midst of our churches towards the common good in our city, what would that look like and how should we do it? Yeah. And so we started meeting with our uh, civic <clears throat> officials, the people who we think that God's put in authority. So we started meeting with like the police chief and the city manager. And about six and a half years ago, I was sitting in a room with the mayor of our community yeah. and about 22 uh, pastors. And we were just asking them these quite, you know, we're just kind of saying, Hey, what's your heart for our city? How'd yeah. you end up here? And if you could wave a magic wand and change something about our community, what would you change? Right. You know, and we were just trying to th- figure out what's that one thing that we should be going after. Yeah. Is it single moms or yeah. elderly shut-ins? And he looked at us and he said, you know, you guys want to have the biggest impact in our city. You should start a neighboring movement. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really? So <laughs> like hang out with your neighbors. Like, at, yeah. Like what if like, you know, the neighbors. people in all of our churches were actually like great neighbors. Right. And so that just sent uh, my friends and I on this journey and we, we began learning a lot about literal neighboring. Yeah. It dawned on us that uh, it's pretty, it, was, it was a pretty horrible moment, actually. So like when, when God uses your mayor to tell a bunch of pastors that the smartest thing they can do is the thing that Jesus said was most important, right. it feels like you just get kicked in the nuts. I mean, <laughs> right. uh, but it also was, it was a pretty sacred moment. And we, we took the, we, we started to, we, it, it was incredibly convicting and embarrassing yeah. And it also put us towards action. And so we began to stack hands around this idea of uh, literal neighboring. And we, we felt so bad in that moment that we wanted all of our people to feel as horrible as, as we felt yeah. and expose them to that same idea. It's been great. Uh, yeah. Slowly over time, we've been moving the needle and just uh, really challenging the people that come into our communities to take the idea, the second half of that great commandment, literally and seriously. Yeah. Um, one thing I really liked about what you said yesterday is just how I don't know if you said events or movements, but just how they're just, they, they don't continue. They're, they're not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, I, I think I told you this before. So we're, we're on James Island right now and super tight knit community, lots of great, great churches around. Somebody had this idea for a lot of the churches to get together and do some big outreaches on James Island. And one thing that like the prevailing theme was we need to just show people that we can all work together and be together. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, all right, we can show them that. So as we started meeting with them more and more, I started realizing this is going to be really hard for us to be a part of this. And here's one of the biggest reasons why this guy, one of the pastors, he said, hey, we, we need to have a t-shirt for this thing. And all of a sudden, already I don't like that. Already I don't like that. But on the back of the t-shirt, he wants to have doing it unto the least of these. <laughs> so he wants to walk around poor neighborhoods as middle-class white pastors with a shirt that says doing it unto the least of these. I think I was sick for one of these meetings. And so my wife went in my place and she actually, she's a little more aggressive than I am, more confrontational, and uh, I guess less filter. I, we con- You guys must have an interesting marriage. Yeah, then. yeah. <laughs> so uh, she actually said, she's just like, do we really want to have a t-shirt like that? It just kind of seems like, you know, we're putting ourselves up on this platform and we're, we're serving in the slums or something. The guy's response, 
I'm not going to water down God's word. <laughs> I mean, that was his response. I was like, okay, well, why don't we just have a t-shirt that says weeping and gnashing of teeth for everyone. I mean, just like it was unbelievable. But I think that's what a lot of churches, they think, man, if we could just do this thing that everybody will see, it'll just be the best thing. I'm like, okay, but then what about next Saturday? What are you going to do right. next Saturday? Yeah, and a lot of times people just check off about. the box. They just kind of right. go, uh, you know, you do these big events and your serve day. And I think it's good. You can give people a taste of like getting involved in serving. But most people just go, yep, checked it off. Yeah. S- yeah. Tell me when that thing happens next year. Yeah. Can I take us ADD? Can I just tell you a great yeah. t-shirt story? So my buddy, uh, Eric Swanson's written some books about helping churches be more missional, more involved in their community. Yeah. He goes out to North Carolina and they did their big serve day. Yeah. And they gave everyone in the congregation these shirts that have a heart on them. So the next day, um, everyone was supposed to wear their shirt. If you'd been a part of the survey, then you all wear your shirt to church. And this, yeah. the lead pastor gets up there. Big, this is a big church. Stands up in front. And he started, this is the very first service because uh, he did not do this in any of the services after. He said, hey, I want everybody to look around this room. And I want you to see the people that have hearts on. He said, yesterday... All across this city, all these people that have hearts on, we're serving. I want you to look down the rows right now. Look at who has a heart on. Look at who has a heart on right now. (laughs) He goes, I want you to know right now, underneath this shirt, I have a heart on. And if you look back here into all these people, all the choir underneath their robes, they have a heart on too. (laughs) And everybody there is losing. Oh, never. The whole time. He did the heart on thing the entire time. People are losing their minds. And then right afterwards, this wife has to run up and grab him and go, do you not know what just happened? <laughs> we all have hard on. We all have hard on. And there was one line. What was it? Oh, it was listen, the people that have a hard on is because they are out loving their neighbors. <laughs> we, can was re- the, we can spend the rest of our time, the three of us, thinking of better oh, things God. with hard ons. <laughs> that's insane. Uh, well, that's the thing, though. I mean, you don't even realize it. Like you said, it does become about the event. And here is why. I think it like you said you can check it off and it's the easiest thing like what you're talking about actually loving your neighbor is really hard yeah. like like i mean it, it is like even in your in your message yesterday i was thinking like i know my neighbor's names and i and i'll say their names I, I, like even our, the flooding that happened here a few weeks ago some of our neighbors got flooded we went over said hey can we do anything no 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 you know and everybody like are you finding any resistance to that like it's not only just wanting to but are the people receive it Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the resistance is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the resistance, people don't want to do this. It's way easier to just go down and serve uh, the rescue mission. Right. Because your neighbors are always there. They're right. always there. They're there when you leave. They're there when you come back. Right. And those and a lot of those people. So like my neighbors, I didn't pick them. I didn't choose who they are. And so yeah. but part of this is part of the genius of it. And it's also what makes it really, really hard is that um, my neighbors, my neighbors have totally different interests than me. They're in different seasons of life than I am. They think about the world differently than I do. And so I think a lot of those times, those relationships are harder to kind of get going, but they can be some of the most significant too. Yeah. This is a, a question that I have personally. When I see like our church is big on small groups. I'm big. I'm a small group leader, a director. What do you say like for people that go, well, I mean, I have friends. Why do I need to be in a small group? I, I have friends that live around me. That's my neighbors. Like why? You need to know, like, the people that live right beside you or across from you and stuff like that. Is that what you're talking about? Or, I mean, what's 
obviously that's what Jesus would do and stuff like that. But I mean, do we know enough people that we also still need to know people? Like what, when you say those people that have different life view and all that stuff, what, what are we doing that for to win them to Christ? Are we doing that just to show the love of Jesus? What's like the goal? Yeah. Well, I think what you're getting at here is the issue of posture. And I think that's a really, really big deal. And so for me, um, I, we like to say this, we don't, we don't do this to convert people. We do this because we're converted. And I think when you go in with that mindset, uh, some really good things happen. That, yeah. the, here's the reality. Like when a Christian does something nice for somebody that, that's not a Christian in our culture, the non-Christian just sits around and waits for something weird to happen. They're just yeah. trying to figure out where's the string? What are they going to do? Right. What kind of awkward conversation that they're going to... And that sucks. It sucks that that's the way it is in our culture, yeah. but it is. And so I think for people that have faith, we need to know that. We need to know going in that like some of our neighbors, as we go in and start to engage them, are going to be like waiting. If they know that we're a Christian, it's really hard. I mean, you guys are pastors, kind of. Not like real pastors, but you guys are kind of pastors. So, I mean, when you're like as pastors, we're working from a deficit. When my neighbors find out what I do for a living, they're just sitting there going, oh, I mean, you can just see it on their face. Yeah. Like, oh, no. And so right. I think um, I think one of the most helpful thoughts has been this, is we've been trying to help people think about this neighboring deal is, if, if you know that your neighbor is never going to take a step towards God or have any kind of like spiritual interest, do you think Jesus' command to be their friend still, uh, you know, still is right? Yeah. Of course it is. Right. And, we, and the irony is this. When people of faith actually have good posture, the people that are around them or they may not think like them, they get curious and they actually want to know and they just like, they go, hey, man, tell me, like, why do you, why do you get in your car and go to church every week? Yeah. Or, you know, they'll start to ask questions right. because they know they're not with somebody who's looking to try to debate them into heaven. Right. right. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I see too. Like, even with my neighbors, like one of our neighbors is a, a single dad um, and his son comes over and plays with our kids. So then one day he obviously like after the first his day, he's like 20, you know, his son's like probably seven or eight years you old. You let him I, play just the two of them. And he's 20. <laughs> what are you talking about right now? This is a terrible joke. It feels like uh, now he played some better boundaries than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> their son plays with our kids. And so the dad just came over to like to make sure everything's safe, you know, like who's my kid playing with. And, uh, you know, he was just, he was, everything was cool and relaxed. We we're just talking, having a good time. He's like, Hey, so what do you do for a living? I said, I work at a church and then everything changes, you know, like, like he's still yeah. cool, but it, it feels like his language changes a little bit. He's a little bit more stiff. Like, yeah. Oh, what, you know, and is this the, like, I, I could see in his eyes almost like, Oh, wait a minute, this family's here. And is it going to be the bait and switch? And are they going to try and get me to start coming to their church and giving tithes and all this stuff? And we kept talking and it ended up being cool. And like, that's kind of even like with this podcast, I feel like it, it's funny to me, when I see people that are wary of Christians, like neighbor stuff, like like I'll drop a, an intentional cuss word, like hell or damn or shit or whatever, and it's oh okay, like I got a tattoo last week, and the, and I was talking, the guy's awesome, other stuff, and I told him I work at the church, and I could tell he's like, yeah man, yeah I believe in God, you know I pray for thank the Lord for everything I got and all stuff, and he's like, uh you know he said but you know you're probably a little bit more conservative than me, and and so as the conversation went on, I said something like hell or uh, damn or whatever it was. And then he was like, oh, and then it got more and more relaxed, more and more relaxed where you're right. We actually had a conversation about God and all kinds of stuff because then it wasn't, I was trying to bait and switch or trying to tell him about God. He was asking me and finding out what he wanted to and could leave it there. Yeah. So I think that's, that's what you're saying. But like practically too, like when you say, Love, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor. What are you talking about here? Like, are we giving them money? Are we, you know, fixing their cars? Are we eating dinner? What, like, where, where do you start that stuff at? Well, I think we, I think like what you're talking, we just can, can we just like go out and live out in our front yards and just not be weird? Like that would be like the end game. 
Like, can we just like actually be friends? Just not be like, weird. Just be in, re- you know, build relationships with the people that God put right around you. That That's should it. be on the T-shirt. That's it. it. Yeah, and we're not weird. And don't be weird. And I think, you know, I think that the Christians in our in our cities and our neighborhoods, I think we should be a part of the best parties in town. Yeah. You know, I love the 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 what would Jesus do movement. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So you know, everybody would just sit around and go, oh, you know, what would Jesus do? Yeah we got to pray a lot and he had solitude and all these different things. You know, what never made the list is go hang out with really sketchy people. Yeah. Like hang out with right. people that are so sketchy that it makes religious people uncomfortable. Cause that's, it's like a pattern all throughout the, the gospel is like Jesus is doing that, but yeah. nobody ever says that's not one of the disciplines we're supposed to do. Right. Right. Uh, but I actually think it's, that's the key. Um, and I grew up in like this Christian you know, I grew up in this kind of like this ministry family and everything. And I remember one of my youth pastors told me this. He said, Dave, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And it was like a, it was a yeah. really helpful thought. I didn't listen to most of it, right. but it was a helpful thought. And it just kind of planted this thing in my head. Then I remember five or six years ago when I started thinking about really becoming engaged in my neighborhood, I started to realize my wife and I didn't have to start showing up or, or we didn't have to start hosting our own parties. We just started to start showing up to the parties that were already going on. Yeah. And the reason I hadn't gone to them before is because there was some like narrative in the back of my head that was like, well, I don't know, you know, who knows what's going on down there. Those guys right. like look like they party yeah. really hard <laughs> uh, and they do. I've learned that they actually do. But I think, I think I've just learned that like I can be in the mix and just cause my neighbor's going to have like 19 beers in two hours. Yeah. It doesn't mean I have to have 19, right? right. I can still, I can still be in the game. Right. And so, I think that's what it what it looks like to answer your question, Toby. Is is it looks like? Hey, most of us don't even know the names of the people that live right around us. We've yeah. met them five times, and they're not important enough to even remember their names. Yeah. But it looks like learning names, and then just taking the next small step, and then just being normal, just being yeah. like a normal human being without trying to like you know pull strings on people. And um, I I believe we share what we love, and so usually we do it in a way that's normal. You know, you and I hung out for a few minutes before the podcast. I, you love music. You're yeah. like, it is, it leaks out of you. And I think that, you know, people that like genuinely are like trying to orient their life around Jesus, it'll leak out of them. We don't have to like get uh, schooled up on here's a little track or some acronym to do it. Um, we just have to, we just have to do it out of relationship. So you wrote a book on all this, eh? Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, my buddy and I wrote a, wrote a book. Um, we didn't set out to, uh, to write a book that, this all this stuff happened with my friends and I for about three years, and then some guy came and convinced us that we should write. And it was. I mean, a, you told me before we went on air that this is going to be the next purpose-driven life. As far it, well, as it already maker. is. Yeah. It already as far is. As yeah. It, right. Yeah. It already, <laughs> it already is. So no, we. Yeah, my friend Jay and I. He's a pastor in town. We set out and we wrote the book. We actually wrote the book. We would shoot. We didn't. Neither one of us know how to write. It was yeah. really. It's really painful to write if you're not a writer. And so we figured out a good rhythm. We would meet at about 10 o'clock at night and we had this like old gym, kind of like church, you know, basketball hoop. One of us would just sit in a chair. The other, the other guy just shoots hoops and we would just hang out and shoot hoops. And, the, and then the other guy would just write whatever he's saying. So you just talk while you're shooting. The other guy writes. And then like after like 15 minutes, you switch. And we did that for two weeks. And that would explain a lot of the... Uh, the poor grammar of the book. <laughs> that explain a lot when once you read the book. So the guy shooting the basketball is, is talking. And He's the other one's just dictating. It. Yeah, the other one's just typing it. Yeah. Then you just switch. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like actually that. a really good idea. So you don't get like, because you're just getting getting your mind off of it. So you That's can right. speak freely. Yeah, you're, like just you're just talking. Yeah, exactly. You're just trying to like talk to the other person. So, so does, uh, does the big 
mega church culture that you're you understand how all that works and obviously toby and i do too does that ever get in the way of what you write about in the book or do you usually see the two complementary yeah i think it's interesting we kind of fell into this backwards but there's a, there's been a lot of writing in the last 15 20 years about kind of uh deinstitutional you know breaking down the church do, you know breaking outside right. of the traditional institutional model there's a lot of different words and a lot of different writing but um, yeah. it kind of comes down to this um some of it falls under the category of missional you know we're going to go out and do missional this we're just going to meet in our homes right. and we're going to have missional communities right. there's a lot of interesting writing that's going on about that what we accidentally stumbled into is this neighboring thing is missional for dummies right and it was we did it in a way that uh, that large churches can take it and can actually, what we're trying to help people do is just begin to think about like, what if Jesus meant my actual neighbors too? And what if like the seven, eight, nine houses right around me um, that I could just be a little bit more intentional about? And so we did it in a, what, looking back, we did it in a way that large churches can take some of the missional DNA and it's a, it's a great way to introduce it to their people and to, yeah. to set them on mission where they live. Yeah. So we don't we didn't feel like we had to sacrifice anything, um, but we actually didn't think we we thought this book was going to be like most books. It was going to like our family members were going to buy it, right. and then we just have something sitting on a shelf and be able to go, oh, that's really cool. Remember that yeah. one time we we wrote a book? It's even got like a real cover and everything yeah. on it. Uh, so we actually didn't expect it to, you to saw do a this. Bit? Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. That's it's awesome. been it's been it's like I mean it's blown out every expectation that uh, our publisher had and that we had and so it's been it's been a lot of fun it's been a good ride yeah so you'll never have to work again never <laughs> well if you yeah if you out there if you want to make a lot of money really get into the publishing industry right. it's it's incredible <laughs> it's fantastic all right so hey, tell us the the name of the book and i mean it amazon i'm assuming sure yeah you can get it yeah it's called the art of neighboring yeah and my buddy jay pathic and how myself, long is it how many pages it's like 200 pages but really if you read like the first 80 yeah you know i think that's probably our best stuff lots isn't of it? pictures lots of, it's a coloring book yeah it's a coloring book. Awesome. so no i actually believe in everything in it and so um I'm, I'm a little bit resistant to going around and just like pimping we've all kind of listened to the people that just get up there and they're like dropping their book title and like the yeah. sermon 20 different times so what i actually do like it's the real deal it's really simple um, there's this little block map uh, idea that really was the centerpiece of everything we did in our community was we just asked people to begin to learn the names of the people who live right around them and then take the next small step. Yeah. And just doing that, just taking the next small step and then doing that over and over and over again has turned out to be like a really powerful thing. That's cool. Let me ask you this, uh, something you were about to talk about and I thought it'd be a good question to ask you here is uh, you talked to, were you at the... Uh, pete holmes rob bell thing or someone told you about that no i well i saw like a little side event they dropped into a conference that i was yeah. speaking at and just did a, a one-off and once for for our listeners sake why don't you tell the, our listeners what you told us as far as what pete holmes did i think it's great and then i wanted to ask you another question sure so pete and rob were looking to fill out the last few seats of this event that they were doing right, and this is rob bell rob bell and then pete holmes i think you guys have had pete on yeah, right yeah yeah so He's like he is an incredibly funny human being. Yeah, he's fantastic. So if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, go back and listen to it. But so we're we're sitting there at this conference, and they had texted one of their people had like texted, and they just came and dropped in 
It's like a Christian conference. A little bit, you know, it's a it's a varied group of people sitting in that room. Some yeah. of them were kind of like your more traditional pastors. Some of them were people that, you know, were kind of more like you guys. Um, not that many, actually, that were like you guys. Uh, so, but, but, and they did a tour called Together at Last. And it was just kind of this incredible rhythm of Pete doing stand-up comedy yeah. and then Rob being Rob. Rob yeah. just stepping in and talking about spiritual things and really helping people ponder and, and wonder. And so but they dropped into this conference and I'll never forget it. It was like Pete like didn't know what room. It's like they didn't actually coach him up on what room he was in because right. he walked into the room and I think, I mean, his first line, he's sitting there and he looks out, he goes, oh, it's so great to be here in this room with all these like super smiley, you know, pastor type people. And he goes, I, cause I just got to tell you, man, just one time, I want to just one of you when I just say, Hey, how are things going? Just to like, look at me and just go, you know what? I'm so sick of this effing job. He didn't say, he said, fucking, he's like, I'm so sick of this effing job. I just wanted to like quit and go home and like be a normal person in the whole room. And then he just like, sorry. I mean, it's just, he's just dropping every single, like every sentence is him just, you know, shit hell yeah, you know, fuck and i'm just yeah. sitting there going like dude you're not in you don't know you're in the wrong room and half the room out. oh people just sat there and like well half the room's rolling laughing right. yeah okay like i'm serious? losing my mind i'm like losing my and the other other room is just sitting there staring and then to watch and rob just steps into it and rob just uh you go hey you know here's something about joy that i've been thinking about and <laughs> you know i know rob had a huge huge impact on me at a crucial time when i yeah. was trying to figure out um, I, I would, it's kind of reforming my, my faith. And I think we all do that. We all have like our yeah. first formation and then we somewhere along the line, either a crisis or we just start to think about things. And then we, we've got to put, we've got to build a new framework for yeah. how we think about God. And so I came across a lot of Rob's stuff at that point in time. And he really had a, a huge impact. And I've watched this whole, if of course people have, I don't know if you know this, people have some pretty strong opinions about Rob. Oh man, there. do they, <laughs> do they? And so, so it's been interesting to watch him and, and to watch kind of his career and kind of the things that he's up to now. And so, um, but I'm, I'm just really grateful for, you know, some of those, like how many of us haven't like just grabbed one of those NUMA videos yeah. and yeah. either used it. I mean, I used to lean on those all the time just to help people, you know, rethink yeah. how they think about God and, and they were incredibly valuable. I think the one thing is I, I wish there's a weird part of me. I, I, sometimes I just wish the one book that he wrote, Love Wins. Yeah. Um, Rob had such an amazing following. He was having such a, a significant impact with a lot of people who were kind of like in this evangelical crowd. And I think he was sharing a lot of things that were giving them freedom to think differently. And I think uh, there's, there's a part of me, I wish that he just, the, the love wins thing got spun. You know, I think people yeah. have never read the book, think that they know exactly what the book says and in the posture. So it's interesting to go back and like, if you've never read it, you've heard people talk about it, you should go read it and right. just actually form your own opinion. But there's a part of me, I wish maybe he wouldn't have written it because yeah. he had such amazing influence with so many different people. And I think a lot of people who, who are kind of in the conservative core and even on the fringes of that, yeah. um, like got closed off to him because yeah. of that, because of that one book. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with that. Like it was almost like he had a voice and he was somewhere where that, that crowd you were talking about are not still. And even right. though he was there, there was no bridge to get there. It was like, okay, bam, here you go. And yeah. so those people, you're right. They immediately got turned off and took that vocal. Like they probably didn't even read the book. 
they probably read the back jacket or something like that. And we're like, no, or heard something on Fox News about how terrible he is or something like that, and just went after him because we we got to go to his show too. And uh, I thought it was really dude is brilliant. I mean, a great speaker, everything. Uh, just really, I, I mean, I, I I was like, wow, this guy is a orator. He has a gift, you know, just to speak. But I I kind of agree with you the same way. Like if he didn't write that book, there would be people that he could have maybe he just should have did just a little, just a pinch. Yeah. But at the same time. You only get this one life, and he's probably thinking, well, I'm just going to be me. And it is still working out, but I kind of agree with you. I think it shut off a huge side of Christianity that could have really benefited from his thoughts right. and just expanding. And I, I even think, like we were talking earlier, but that even applies, I think, with uh, it, the opposite habit. I think he probably a little bit did that in, uh, I don't I don't want to say, maybe the word is just pushing back against you know the idea of like megachurch and the guy. Right. You know, they, the mega church pastors can't say, can't like if a mega church pastor right now, who, you can name a million of them. If one of them came out and said, Hey, you know what? That Rob Bell, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe some of his ideas are that you, you, you don't get ties the next Sunday or everybody turns their back on you or you become an outcast or an right. outlier or something like that. And so I, it's funny. I, I almost wonder, was it in just to contrast that, like it, that, that side is so hard that we don't get to see that he is an example of somebody that you get to see what he's thinking, you know, it, and it hurt him. It yeah. definitely hurt in lots of ways, but at least you get to see the real side. Like how many brilliant pastors do we have that can't open up and just, just for a minute say, Hey, this is what I'm going to say. This is where I'm at. Like you, like you've been saying, I think that's, that's so true. As you progress in your faith and in life, and everything, there, there always comes a time where there's that crisis of faith or yeah. even just a little tiny bump or something. And you don't like you get, we get to experience that and go, okay, I'm not in the limelight of the pastor or whatever, but I don't. Sometimes I don't think, you know if pastors get to do that. Like we were even talking today, we we're doing an interview for our church, and uh, the guy was asking us about our response time. And Joey was saying how our pastor kind of was in a down moment, and response time kind of the Lord allowed him. That's we, that's something we do after the sermon where you can just reflect on the message and stuff. But it's a certain way that Seacoast does it specifically. And uh, I was like, man, it was at least refreshing to hear that our pastor had a really dark time and was like questioning ministry. You know, yeah. how we do it and stuff like that, and so. I don't know if you see that too. Like, even with your book and stuff like that, is, do you see pastors going, "Yeah, man, what great idea!" And it becomes just an event. Yeah. Or, I mean, do you even see that happening in in churches? Are they a, a, able to be open and honest? Hey, there is no formula. Just go say hey to your neighbor. So yeah. So do you remember that podcast where you played Toby's question, like, and how long it took for the question? <laughs> Like, I, I did it again. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, no, so, oh, there's so, those up in there. No, there is great. So let me, I think I, I, think I just got to ask four questions. Let me yeah. get back. Uh, here's a couple answers. And One, I do want to say this in a follow-up question. <laughs> so I do want to say this. Uh, I was reading, I, I do think it's interesting. I got to go all the way back. I got to rewind right. this thing. It's interesting, you know, how Christians react to certain things. So I was reading a blog it pointed, it kind of brought this tension up to the surface. And it said, it was comparing how Christians kind of treat Rob Bell and Russell Brand. I wish I could remember the name of this blog. Have you guys seen this? The guy uh-huh. said, you know, so Russell Brand is, takes some video and talks about how horrible uh, pornography is, right? And yeah. like, and he's, you know, just says, listen, I think this is like really toxic and really dangerous. And every Christian just says, my Facebook feed got filled up with like all these people going, man, Look at Russell Brand talking about porn, right? And they and they're like celebrating him, even though right. all the other things in his world right. are like his anti-Christian, <laughs> yeah. right? And then Rob Bell goes, "I'm I'm like rethinking 
exactly how I'm thinking about like who's in and who's out. Everybody just goes, nope, that's it. You're yeah. done. They just cut them off. Yeah. And the, the, so this, the blogger was just like bringing that to the service. And I was like, that is fascinating. Yeah. There's something about it. If it's in our tribe and, and we don't totally agree with it or it, it violates one of the sacred cows, we just want to demonize it and, and get it out to the side. Right. Yeah. Um, but if it's somebody out in some other tribe and they say one thing that we like, then we're like posting it all over the place. Right. Uh, and there's something like really unhealthy about that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think it shows. Well, think of the message that sends to everyone else in the church and outside the church is, hey, at in in church we don't stand for public processing of things. Like we don't have any room for it. If yeah. you start to process things out loud and it doesn't seem to be biblical, out of here. You can't yeah. have any influence, and that's just like. What that does then is that puts every single other pastor in a position of like, well, either suppressing the doubts that they may be having or the questions they may be having, or at the at the very least, just keeping them going without an outlet. I mean, yeah. how how and then we hear pastors talk about how lonely the profession is. <laughs> right. We had a pastor in town kill himself in November, and it's wow. just like those sorts of things is happens because of how jacked up we think of things and how things yeah. cannot be public. You know? Well, and we tend to focus a lot of times on like the 2% of things that we disagree on right. instead of the 98%. And it's so a lot of what's happened to me and to my world. Um, so over the last six years, I've spent majority of my time helping faith and business and government leaders work together around people in need in the Denver metro area. And so what I do a lot is I, I help churches work together. And in one of our biggest obstacles is is that of people like trying to figure out okay like how small how big can the circle be right. who's in who's out and so we've really just had a lot of success in trying to put the goal in the middle so if the goal is homeless families in our city um whoever has a passion for that and wants to work towards that can can we can stack hands and go after that instead of trying to make a lot of theological boundaries that could exclude people yeah. and and it's tricky it's hard but it's actually been working and I'm, I'm really hopeful. I look around the country. I see a lot in a lot of places, there's this trend of pastors and leaders beginning to think more kind of like big C church instead of just their yeah. like single congregation. Yeah. All right. So real quick uh, before we wrap things up. So someone who has been a big influence in your life is Rob Bell. How, how do you process that? So in other words, he has publicly uh, expose how he processes things and you're a Christian. Yeah. So do you look at him as someone as I, I still love the guy, just can't learn much from him or I mean, how, how does all yeah, that not, work? And not at all. I mean, I've just never thought that I have to wear the bag just because somebody like helps me think better. doesn't mean I have to wear like, like every single thing that they think about. Yeah. Right? You know, and so like you guys are helpful, but you know, you don't believe in hell anymore. And so I don't have to. <laughs> so I, don't I do to. believe in hell, <laughs> but it's only two minutes, 37 seconds. <laughs> I just believe it's an all consuming fire that destroys people. That's no. right. So, and I think a lot of it does come down to control, right? We, we sit around and for a lot of us, we, we just get worried. You know, when I start having anxiety, I try to ask the question, I'm like, where, where's that coming from? Yeah. And so if one of my friends starts going, man, I'm just reading like this incredible person and they're like really into like the Wiccan thing. And I'm like, really thinking like, right. like I, I lean in and I go, yeah, Hey, I'd love to talk about that, but I'm not trying to like, it, for me, it's not my job 
to go and to like guard every single one of my friends or people I know from every single teacher or person out there. I've got right. to be able to trust that like God is at work, right. that, that right. God's at work and that people have a, a, a different path in the way that they come to come to know God and begin to like live that out. And that I can, I can be friends with people, be in a relationship with people, but I don't have to go and control that. And people don't have to control that with me. Like right. I'm sure that some people would go, man, Dave, you still think that that's like, like for me, some of that stuff was back in like 2002 and it was incredibly important to my own personal spiritual formation. Right. Like, so now because he thinks something else that I'm going to look back and go, well, I got to throw all that out the window. That's nuts. Right. That is crazy. So, uh, you know, that just feels like common sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I really like how you said that. And that mentality keeps people from becoming a hero and everything they say is just, you know, like cultish following or something like that. I totally agree with you. You can always pull something good from somebody, no matter what they believe, like, you know, you know what I mean? Wh whether it be science, like there's tons of atheist scientists who we are so happy that they're creating products and medicines and doing things that are improving our lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Constantly. So why wouldn't we be celebrate some of that stuff? And, and you're right. If, if this is our faith, then we should be able to wade through that stuff and go, Hey, you know what, man, I love Rob Bell. I love what he says here. This thing, maybe not so much. Yeah. That you can still like Rob Bell. That that's called just like you were saying. That is like your neighbor and your friend and caring about somebody and knowing somebody as opposed to oh they said this they're done. That's I right. Mean, I mean Jesus would never do that. Yeah. Ever. So yeah. So I don't I don't like agree or tie myself to everything that Rob T. But I don't think we should do that with anyone. Yeah. I, don't, I think that's right. really really clear. All right, this is Dave Runyon. Uh, hey, can I say one more thing before we yeah, jump yeah, off? Go I just got to tell you guys something. Hell, what's your podcast? Well, I know what you're up to is the real deal, <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of us out there that that are dialing in. And the big, I think one of the biggest things you guys are doing is most of us in the rest of the country, we didn't know that people who talk like you could be this thoughtful. So like those act, like we didn't know anyone <laughs> that had a southern accent that deep was, was actually that actually had this much good stuff to say. So keep it up, man. And keep like just breaking down stereotypes. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, Dave Runyon, The Art of Neighboring. Check it out. And we're back. Old Dave Runyon. Yeah. That's cool. Art of Neighboring. Yeah. After it's a good uh, book. Yeah. It was it was really funny too. They were talking about uh just how surprised they were about like all how many people in the South go to like these old plantation homes and it's like oh, yeah. celebratory of slavery and we're like well it's not this. it's not exactly like it's like these old plantation homes because they're beautiful plantations with you know they gardens and all this stuff but to them they're from colorado they're like they felt really weird like maybe going on a tour in a plantation is like is this not celebrating slavery in your history yeah and, and to us to us to me like I, ne I never actually thought of it that way because i just thought oh no it's about the gardens and you know there's there's like a uh, uh, plantation gardens right down from my house where we're sitting yeah. right now and uh you know it's just a beautiful piece of property and i don't think about it as that and if i did i thought i would have whenever i've gone to one of those i've thought oh that's where they kept slaves that's crazy look at their quarters and this is how they lived it's like it, it's it's like almost honoring to me and in my mind i've always thought honoring the slaves right. like for what they went through and how bad it was and so uh anyway it was just really interesting respected but it's, it's but, what, but, but what's crazy <laughs> i mean plantation i mean that's like uh, a place where you put, but listen, people get married there. I mean, they're packed out every weekend for yeah. weddings. <laughs> what, what's crazy is when, when people talk about plantations in Charleston, they don't, they're not even thinking slavery. They're saying it's such a beautiful place. And, and then you, you go back in history and think of the vile, grotesque right. things that were done there. Well, just, well, I'm, yeah, I'm not but, knocking, I'm not knocking my fellow Southerners. Cause I'm right there with them. I'm like, man, these are beautiful, beautiful places. 
but it is very ironic. Uh, and and I thought the perspective that the Runyons brought is very eye opening. Yeah, I'm glad and they, I think I, noteworthy I that was for interesting. Us to take into consideration when we talk about plantations. For yeah, out loud. for sure. I mean, shit. Yeah, I'm sure it's a negative thought that people that aren't familiar with plantation. I mean, plantation is a place where you plant crops and grow them. So, I mean, if you saw farms in South America that in right. hundreds of years ago had, you know, forced labor, you don't say, oh, farms. Yeah, but all, right. all due respect, yeah. the plantations that we're referring to still have the little slave houses up. Sure. And that's part it's of the interesting, draw. interesting part of history and no reason to whitewash it, but it's right. also right. important to have a, a little bit of broader understanding. I'm constantly frustrated by people in Seattle. It's, it's, it's like so taboo to be it almost feels like it's i'm automatically a racist because i'm from the south i still talk this way right and god forbid i think a state ought to have a right or two somehow that equals i wish i had a slave oh right, for, right. I, I mean they don't say that but i really get the sense that if i had any principle of liberty or if i could if, right. if i if, if a guy from the south in seattle says the word states rights i'm done yeah yeah um, you know what I mean? I, but that's a, it's still a reason it's states' rights. And, and the education that they have in the rest of the country about the Civil War, I'm not trying to be revisionist or anything, but the rest of the country, or at least out here, literally have a point of view where they're like, oh, the Civil War, it was that time when exactly 50% of Americans decided to be evil and the other 50% were good, and luckily that worked out. That's, that is essentially... What it what they it seems like they feel like is the uh you know the situation yeah. it's always and I, what am I gonna say I'm gonna be able to say anything right I even had a guy the other day I know this was, I'm on a tangent but I had the other guy the day I, I don't I didn't even say anything he was like and that was so bad you know what y'all did I'm like uh I, yeah okay I but I mean right like don't you like he just kept pushing me and wanted me to just say I don't know what he wanted me to say but it was is really weird the way people look at it yeah not objectively or sympathetically or understanding that right people don't have a different morality based on a state border it just is situation it's really weird not to mention that all of history is full of really really horrible things at all times in all places previous right. to the last couple of decades or maybe this one so that's the thing i don't like that's what i'm saying like when we talked to him we were like no nobody even thinks of it that way like all races go to these plantations for how beautiful they are and what they are and to remember you know what the people went through and I, I i totally agree i hate like i hate the close-mindedness and intolerance of the northwest really gets to me that's the that's what i'm saying yep i yeah, agree I well see that matt sure. kick the music because i want to drop some truth about those damn northwest idiots <laughs> in a world where your friend you begged him come back to the south where you'll be welcomed with open <laughs> arms but his dumb ass says no i'm gonna buy an unreal expensive home there and have like 300 square feet of home in a <laughs> tiny little you live in a tiny house yep. my name's toby yep. morell this is the damn news i, I f- think the i think one of the funniest things that you guys say about the pacific northwest is how much bullshit is in the seattle seahawks fans like y'all really y'all don't respect surprise surprise my first news story is about those bastards right now and how stupid they are and this is it, going Y'all back to your point respect a fan base oh they're stupid no, no, i no, promise no, you man you remember when we moved there in 2001 and nobody even, i mean they they didn't even care and then they tried to care when they went to the super bowl against pittsburgh and then they said 
there was a conspiracy that that Pittsburgh shouldn't have won in the NFL, and everybody just wanted Pittsburgh to beat Seattle. I'm just right. like, shut the hell up. Y'all yeah, are so well, stupid. I, I'll go farther than that and say West Coast sports fans are quite annoying in general. However, I am a fan even and support the Seahawks. I like the team. I like the organization. So, I, well, I you're like on the, your own I, little I pull limb. The yeah, screw them. I say the screw them. The fans are, are are pretty ridiculous, and they definitely don't know a lot. Like I was hanging out with a guy from Boston at a birthday party the other day, and somebody was like, just spouting all this stuff about the Seahawks. It was when they were still in the playoffs, and they were wearing the jersey and spouting all this stuff. And they they were like a week or several days behind the current news of like Marshawn was playing in the game or not playing in the game. <laughs> and me and the other guy looked at each other and like, no, he's playing. He's they said he's playing. And we were like, no, he's not. And the guy was just they don't they're not sports fans. They just hear stuff on Facebook, right? And they're just I mean, they maybe they will be in the future. They like the clothes and the colors, and it's fun. And their their colors are even. What's funny is the I'd biggest, be ashamed if our colors were like neon gaff tape and blue <laughs> and gray. I, I, when I first saw that, I was like, what are they doing? They're going to help kids cross the street? What the hell's wrong with Seattle Seahawks? All right. You know that the most hardcore Seattle fan I know is Andy, who does not live in Seattle. He's yeah. like... Yeah, Josh is a huge, huge Seahawks fan. Now, now, hey, I will give it to Josh. Josh has always been a real fan of the yeah. Seahawks. There's some, there are some real sports fans in Seattle, but... But his fellow fans are just stupid. All of them. What about Matt McDonald? Right him. Well, they're new. They're like new Christians, that's all. All right, this comes from sportsgrid.com. Brainless Seahawks fan calls Cam Newton classless in an open letter. Did y'all hear about oh this? Gosh, no. Like when that, when, when, and people are really going off telling, saying how terrible Cam is. And people, like, he's kind of a polarizing character. But regardless, I mean, I had to uh, admit. Richard Sherman. <laughs> I know. This is what I thought was so funny. I mean, what about, I'll get into it in a minute. But anyway, I thought it was really crazy. So this lady basically, this comes from Cairo News and sportsgrid.com. Um, this, this guy wrote, uh, her name was Sarah. And she chastises Newton for disrespecting the symbol. Now, I don't know if y'all saw it, but basically when they beat the Seahawks, somebody tried to hand him a Seattle towel. And he just ripped it. It was like waving a Seattle towel in his face and all mm-hmm. stuff. The fan was being stupid. And he just grabbed it and threw it to the ground and kept on running, right? So they lost their towel, I guess. Maybe somebody even picked it up and gave it to him. Anyway, she writes, uh, it's just, it's like heartfelt. And who, these open letters to athletes and famous people, so stupid anyway. But it, I guess it worked. Here she is. You know, I mean, anyway, it says, a video of you throwing the 12th flag down and throwing it to the ground like garbage. You see, the one that people don't realize is Seahawks fans aren't just fans. The 12th man is a community, a family that regardless of winning, stand behind our team and our community, <laughs> a community that feeds and clothes the homeless, a community that raises funds for families in hard times. You see, Cam, while you're practicing for your next game, our QB will be at a Seattle Children's Hospital raising the flag that you shamefully threw to the ground, and he will be placing them <laughs> on the hospital walls of the little 12. Not if he was still in the playoffs. <laughs> I hope that you remember that even though you may have won this game, it is the Seahawks and the 12th man that are the real winners. Win or lose, we come with class, respect, a love for the game, a willingness to help others, love for God, and love for those surrounding us. And I was like, do you remember Marshawn in the end zone grabbing his crotch and going, ugh? I mean, like, I'm like, are you you class? Or Richard Richard Sherman in that interview? I know. I mean, what in the hell is she talking about? And I mean, I was like, I I just couldn't believe it. And here's the thing that I, I really, like, I mean, think about this. Imagine... A Southerner said that, and what racist connotations would have been put on that? A white uh, Southern woman, if she'd have said that, and they would have said she's a racist because Cam is a black guy or something like that. Like people would immediately probably even thought that or assume that or said that. Then just because it's in the Northwest, they're so unaware of anything. Like Cam literally goes and intentionally gives game balls to all the kids. 
Like, you know, he got, he, like, I think they're, the NFL isn't going to find him because it looks so bad. He gets fined $25,000. They could find him $25,000 for every ball that yep. he does. He gives us somebody. I'm just like, if, and the Seahawks fan was waving the flag and it's a, it's not even his yep. team. Anyway, I was this, just blown away. And I just thought, it's so ridiculous. It's just, it's so, so bizarre that people don't have a, probably on both sides of the coin, including, I mean, from my point of view, I like Sherman. I like what he said. Did I'm all for that? Marshawn's run I is like awesome. Sherman. He's fine. Uh, I love Cam Marshawn. Is awesome. I like anything that's, uh, right. you know, where it's really genuine. Really, if it's excitement or whatever kind of thing. I don't. I mean, there's some showboating you cannot like, but that's kind of self-selecting in that the more arrogant and cocky a person is, that seems to not really work out. But at least Cam can back it up, and he's good. And I, I mean, I think yeah. Cam's. Awesome, but it's crazy people can't see through the bias of that. Like they think their team is this versus that. It's a very bizarre behavior, indeed. Yeah, it's just super dumb. Um, but especially though, I had to say the reason I like Cam. I would like. I'd love to w- say I wish I was could prove I was more of uh, on Cam before. But I love anybody who's an anomaly physically at their position. I've held that a long time, so I'm going to put Cam in that category. I know it seems fair weather at this point, but. Yeah. MVPs ever are, you know, Wilt Chamberlain, a Big Ben, right. Shaq, Cam, any uh, LeBron, anybody that is f- a physical anomaly able to dominate a position like that is so awesome. Yeah. I love it. It's like it's just super exciting. Cam's awesome. I mean, he's he's so humongous, and that team's really fun. I don't even like the Carolina Panthers at all. But I have to admit, I mean, they're just a great team. I just, I, and, it's just unreal how explosive And they're just having they a ton of fun. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's un- what, almost uh, unstoppable. I think I really think they, got, they probably are going to win the Super listen, Bowl. Listen to what Pastor Greg said last night, though. He, Our pastor's a big Denver fan, and I, I wish I could remember the exact stats, but he said number one offenses going into the Super Bowl are like 10 and 9. Number one defenses going into the Super Bowl, it's like off the charts, like 11 and 1. And he said, remember when Denver – was the number one offense of all time right. playing Seahawks, who had a great defense. Right. They got killed. Right. So the theory, a lot of people are saying Denver having the better defense is going to be the, it could be. the winner. We right. shall see. All right, I got one more news story for you here, and it comes from our, our uh, hopefully, I know I know Joey's voting this way, and Matt, I think you are too, our, our next president, Donald Trump. Got to right, be. <laughs> it's the only sober <laughs> choice if you're a Christian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're a Christian, I mean, he, like he Lord. says clearly that he doesn't, and, and and this is about his Christianity. Trump, this comes from Fox News, Trump looks to appeal to evangelicals at Liberty University. And I don't know if oh, you've heard wow. about this. This is about a week or two ago. But uh, down in the polls. You got me interested on this. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump delivered the convocation address Monday at Virginia's Liberty University, one of the country's most prominent evangelical Christian institutions. The three times married billionaire businessman who sometimes brings a copy of his boyhood Bible and a photo from his confirmation to events to bolster his Christian credentials, <laughs> worked to appeal to the crowd of more than 11,000 students and local residents by quoting from Scripture. And here's this is what's interesting. That's what verse? It, well, it's, uh, well, listen, this is what, that's what's funny, the verse and how he says it. He says, we're going to protect Christianity, he told the audience, before proceeding to quote from what he introduced as, he said, and he says, this is 2 Corinthians 3.17. <laughs> He said, say that he said two Corinthians. No, but I mean, everybody knows a second. Right. I mean, if you're a Christian and been around it all, the comment prompted chuckles from students in the crowd who were quick to point out that the New Testament book is generally referred to as second Corinthians. The visit comes as Trump seeks to bolster support among evangelical Christians who form a significant voting block in Iowa. First among the early voting states in the primaries, 
basically, uh, I mean, he, he just, he, I mean, he might have messed up a little bit here. He said, but my father proudly replied that Jesus pointed out that we are all sinners and every one of us. And he, you know, he talks about, but I mean, he's just talking about Christianity to get people to believe that sure. he's a Christian. So they'll vote for him and it probably is even going to work, but how hilarious to say two Corinthians. I remember a long time ago, um, it was Al Gore was talking about being a Christian and he said, 